0: I'm going to talk tonight about, or the title of the talk tonight is um, Tracking the Dying Lion.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: but first, I want to say how much I appreciate you coming along with me on this uh, trip, this journey. Uh, Perhaps I'm a little too accessible in Seattle, but um, sometimes they're less, they show more resistance to uh, following my line of Dharma. And I really do appreciate that many people here have uh, come along because I'm really only teaching, I'm teaching a system for awakening. It's all that I'm ever going to be interested in, I have a feeling. And um, those of you who perhaps have missed a year or so may see it being honed in, which is what I think um, the book did. It sort of honed in exactly what I want to say and how I want to say it and how I want to point. And I think it has to be very simply pointed out. And I think it needs to be stated in ways that are um, uh, un in which we absolutely see the advantage of doing what we're doing and going this way. And, uh, and so the, the system is really, can be said very simply, very simply, and that is, we are learning how to step out of self-deception. And may I say that the Dharma goes uh, 10,000 different ways Uh, but unless it goes, unless those ways somehow correlate with this path, this journey, this particular direction, uh, they go astray. So instead of taking you in a long loop around the mountain, let's just head right towards it. Um, And so I'm, I'm learning how to say and frame this journey so that it allows people to know where we're going, but also that it's is accessible, um, it's immediately accessible. Let me say it that way. That it's not something that uh, is a long and laborious uh, lifetime adventure. That it is really immediately accessible. In fact, that's the only place it's ever accessible, is immediately. And whether we want to do what's required in order to join the moment, let us never forget that abiding in the moment is the journey's end. Where else are we going to abide? Hmm? And so, we, this journey of self-deception is really about the journey of becoming immediately available. This journey... now. I'll get to the dying lion in a minute,
1: <laughs>
0: but this—the this sense that the sense of this self—we first have to know what it is before we can step out of its deception. If you go along and you on the streets and you say to somebody, uh, "I'm learning how I, I'm learning the the just what I said when I read the Rumi poem about." Um, all thoughts are nothing. That uh, they, they are essentially from nothing. We make something. And you said that to somebody, and you said, what, "What are you talking about?" I th- I think it doesn't come from nothing. I think. And you might say, "Well, you think because you are because you think." Kind of what Descartes said: "I exist because I am." Well, we exist because we think ourselves into existence. But no, that's not going to make any sense to anyone because they don't have any reference for that. What are you talking about? You know, it's like, what are you talking about? They have no reference to hold that information. But we do. We have a reference. We have a way of understanding that all that I take myself to be is contained within the thought of who I take myself to be. That there's nothing inherently outside of the thought, of the range of that thought, where I can point that I exist independently of the thought. Which is very interesting, isn't it? So how does this sense of self come into being? What happens is that the moment arises and we we have a... where we, we feel... Um, constrained by what's arising, in disagreement with what's arising, so we take a step back. There's a, there's a slight hesitation, a slight pause, in our willingness to just arise with a moment. And that sense of stepping back is a simple sense of reflecting upon what's going on, having a sense of oversight of what's going on. And that oversight as we can see in our own minds when we look, gets a, has a feeling of sometimes judgmental oversight, sometimes just a commentarial oversight of someone speaking about how we're doing and you're doing fine, just, That sort of ongoing background noise of what's happening to sort of... That sense of stepping back and pausing, taking a moment distance away. This is a brief hesitation of joining so that I can think about, reflect upon, ponder over what is actually occurring rather than joining what's occurring. And the reason we do that is because we're afraid of joining what's occurring. The pause seems to give us some sense of security and then joining the moment, just a brief hesitation after it has occurred. We, we, could, we can join it but it's just a little bit off-center, a little bit off-kilt. Because then that ponderance to make sure that it's safe to join is where I can, you see, that's where I come in. So this sense of that brief respite time or that brief pause and then where I survey my options and I say, okay, it's okay to join. Then I join and then, of course, it's moved on and I'm back looking for the, and it just continually feels as if like a cartoon character, I like have many bodies. You know how they run ahead of themselves in this kind of stretching body, and that, and that sense of hesitation for security, for safety, for reflection, for to see if there's anything in this moment I need to fear. A snake, right? Or, rope. Okay, I can join it. Snake? Yeah. Rope? Okay. Now, in that pause, in that gap, everything comes in. Even though it's momentarily, it's in a flash, in that instant, all of time is created. Because it wasn't there, now doesn't hold it. But moving back so I can reflect upon it holds a quality of ponderance that the moment itself doesn't hold, which means that thought has come in to think about the moment, which means then that the past and future abiding within thought also comes in, and then the sense of distance of what I need to do in terms of my careful consideration of the moment And measurement and on and on and on and on and on. The whole world comes in in that moment. I think that's very interesting, you know, because. So what is it that's going to make it safe enough for us to join it? I think that's an important question. We keep thinking that if we just prepare it well enough. There'll be some critical moment in which we can then join it. But we never lose, even in the most contented moments, the most relaxed moments, we never lose this little guy. It's just a a momentary reflection back who's saying, Boy, you're really having a great moment here. (laughs) This is a great, this is wonderful, isn't it? And we can't shake him. We can't shake him. Or her. And so we never catch up with ourselves. Because we want to, when it's really nice, we want to embellish what is happening. And that little guy can then commentate on how great it is. This is just one of the most wonderful moments I've ever seen. <laughs> I should tell somebody about this moment. We should have, we collaborate together about how wonderful isn't this a wonderful moment? It really is a wonderful moment. <laughs> and so we have this whole conversation, all about what's immediately arising. I, I can remember several um, experiences. One when I was I was a young man. I uh, j- just graduated from college and I was driving across the country for the first time. And I came down from uh, Yellow, the Yellowstone National Park and I didn't know that um, the Grand Tetons were just south of there. And so i taking going down whatever that interstate is and I look over and I see the Grand T- I'd never seen a sight like that. And I stopped the car at a viewpoint, and I just there was nobody around, so I couldn't talk to anybody, and I couldn't take it in. It was so beautiful, Jackson Hole and the whole. And I got so frustrated because I couldn't tell anybody how beautiful it was. <laughs> so I got back in my car and drove away. And it was a, it was a, it was because I wanted it to be more than just the experience of it, just the experience, just the abiding experience wanted it to be protracted, prolonged. So, and the frustration of something that was that beautiful felt overflowing to me. So it's just it was just but we do that all the time, whether whether it be a sunset or whatever it is. It's that need to make it more, to to communicate, to talk it out, to talk it through, to talk to elongate it through our communication. Why? So that we can then not only have the experience of it, but then have the reiteration of the experience of it in our communication. Isn't that beautiful? Did you see how oh, beautiful, you know, reliving it again and again. So that's what we do. And if it's a fearful moment, then of course we contract. An aversive moment, we turn, you know, so the communication is very tentative. But we have learned to base our presence on the communication rather than the actual thing. The communication is what gives us gratification. I think that's very interesting. So the sense of self is like, you know, is, is, a, is an accompanying um, appendage to our our body and mind. Like a talking head. And yet, we also see the limitation of having that constant jabbering going on, don't we? We see that it seems to prolong the pleasure and re-experiencing it through our imagination as thought, we also see what prolonging the, the fact does to us in reality. Hmm? I mean, does anyone here feel at ease with their judgmental mind? because it's, you can't shut it up. Once you get it going, it, it goes in the good direction, the bad direction, and at you, at them, it just goes. It's a, it's a lion.
1: Right? Not yet. <laughs>
0: and this sense of commentary. It doesn't shut up, does it? You sit down and your objective is to just be quiet. But it won't. It won't because it hasn't died. It's not dying. It is very powerful. It has eons of momentous energy. And just because we've decided that we want to shut it up, It laughs at us. Who are we? But also in there is a subtle way that we encourage it. We feel its pain just in its endless nature. But if we ever do get quiet, where do we immediately go? Wow, that moment, I was really quiet in that moment. (laughs) We jump to commentary, cause it saves us from having to be too quiet, doesn't it? So it's a, it's a salvation for us. It's where we can release the pressure of the spiritual. Hmm? If we get, if, it's, if things are too big, expansive, we can start talking about them, and it brings them, makes them very contained within our description. So it's our bailout system. But we have to see that what we get from it, not just that we see the limitation. If we see just the limitation, we don't understand its power and how we are behind the scenes encouraging its strength. This lion. And so we have to weigh in on what we're getting from it. And we see that we get a sense of perspective. When we're talking about the infinite, there's no perspective in the infinite. Hmm? But if I talk about it, I can contain it in terms of a distance, in terms of my vocabulary. So I'm using the silence and begrudging it at the same time. And so at some point, we have to get a sense of how this sense of self, which is that commentator, is both being used spiritually and being abused spiritually. Because we don't, the person, the spiritual practitioner looks upon this and sets a, sets his or her practice direction and says, I have got to do away with this commentator. Never realizing that that's more commentation. And, we set our agenda to somehow release ourselves from judging mind, however we want to, but often it's some depiction or form of thought and how it has taken hold in us. It can be the story of our life. We can see the endless repetition of our story and how it plays out again and again and we just in, keep infusing it with all the energy and it just keeps, it's never ending and it never ends and the story is one of those endless tales like we heard when we were a child, you know, where the grasshopper, well, you know, those endless tales. And we keep infusing it because then when we come and have a reaction to that, when we see what we're doing, when observation, awareness, sees what it's doing, it then forms a story about what it's doing, and it might be just, it's like a um, subplot. And now, I have a problem with the story. And then we have a subplot in which this, Person who was the main character here is now trying to undermine the main character by doing the end of the story. So so now it goes off this way, right? Isn't this amazing? (laughs) And the lion stays dead, doesn't it? And hungry. Ravishing. Because it's just the more we feed upon our own need for ourselves, thus we think. We're marching this thing in the right direction. Yes, but it's just a subplot to the main plot. And so the whole thing just continues to perpetuate itself through all of these differing little subcategories of what I'm doing in order to, in order to, in order to. We're never quiet. We're never quiet. And then only because, only because, and usually it has to come from external sources, it says, listen people, we need a direction for our journey. We need to be all moving in the same way here. If you want to awaken, if you want to continue to subplot your way till you die, go right ahead. But if you want to awaken, we've got to change this script. We've got to end this script. And so, if there is any inclination in each of us to do that, that's what arises. You need somebody to say, okay, everybody, come on, let's line up. Those who would like to come, come. Those who would like to go and continue subplotting, please find your teacher. (laughs) Because I'm not teaching subplots. Okay, well, I guess I'll go hear what he has to say or whatever. And we line up energetically, and many of you have lined up energetically. This is, it isn't working. I could continue this forever, and I'm tired of it. And we bottomed out. We bottomed out of our story, the commentator, the judger. We bottomed out in some facet of our constant, unrelenting thinking. And all of the things it's done for us in the world, which has been accomplishments, status, prestige, wealth, Ah, we have been kings and queens. Unlike any other time that could ever sustain kingdom and queendom, we have done it. We are all kings and queens. And we're hungry. And whether we allow that intentionality to come to come in or whether we continue to want to build upon our kingdom or queendom I don't know some people are not finished with their monarchy okay but for those of us who do there is a way through this and it's not to belittle begrudge detest Or in any way show recrimination towards that lion. Because it's waiting. It wants our aversion. It wants our infusion of energetic disgust. It wants it because it will, it is a, it changes, it metamorphoses into whatever you think you would like to become, would you like to become a person that doesn't have a judging mind? I can, I can take you there, says the lion. Just follow me. You have to hate me. You have to try to box me and you have to try to... J- hunt me down. Hunt me down. Please hunt me down. And every strategy that we employ to try to get rid of all of this that seems to be backing in there, my God... I've tried it for X number of years and still, 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 what am I to do? Still, it is undying, as healthy as it ever was, really. I may have a mind that can crack wood with my samadhi. But the lion, it loves that. It's just, now the lion's got an additional power. (laughs) Wonderful. It makes you feel like a different kind of lion, you know. Now you've got a different monarchy you can do. And you can keep creating whole kingdoms, samadhi kingdoms, and you can be the best at each one. And there are realms out there that will allow you eons of pleasure building your kingdoms. Okay. So let's get to this lion here. This lion feeds. And how does it feed? See, when we're serious, we want to know how does this thing get strength? How does it feed? Where does it feed? I want to know its trough. I want to know where it's, where it's getting its nurture, nutriment. So I start paying attention to it. And, but kind attention. I'm not, it's not superficially kind so that I can kill it here kitty kitty come and drink come here and drink your poison milk it's not that it's feeding off of that tendency it knows us because it is us so it continues to feed off of all of our ulterior motives and trying to seduce it into its own demise so there has to be genuine kindness there has to be a genuine sense you see this is this is the beauty of it that nothing dies spiritually until we love it and then it loves we love it out of existence hmm. It is loved out of existence because it does in love, there's no longer any reactivity. As long as there was reactivity, there was that brief encounter of what it was and the commentary associated with its danger and all of time and thought and everything else associated with it. As long as any reaction, what is reaction? We have to see. What is reaction? It feeds on reactivity. What is reaction? Reaction is the thought fear of this moment. It's backing away and exploding upon the scene unconsciously. And it feeds upon the energetic, energetically feeds upon that reaction and then goes into abeyance until it waits for the next circumstances to arise where it can come out and have a frenzy again. And so we began to look at that. And so this practice is a practice of, it, it, you might say, that we withhold food from the lion. Not in any kind of malicious way. We simply don't feed it through our reactivity and it gets malnourished and the, believe me it still has IV poles
1: <laughs>
0: and just because it's not and we and we we give it a diet of vegan mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we do all sorts of real. <laughs> It'll eat vegan. It doesn't As soon as you get proud of yourself for being a vegan, it's it's feeding on that. It feeds on everything. So so but but what it cannot feed on is love. And the first thing we have to do in order to love the lion is to love the holder of the lion, the sense of me. Because so much of the lion's energy has come from self-dislike. Let's just put it out there. That's one of its main feeding grounds. So appreciating oneself learning to how to appreciate oneself doesn't mean that you suddenly love yourself as a no you just see yourself as being uh i mean just what you are really you're not awful and you're not holy and you're just we're just what we are and what we are we most of us do the best we can and we make a lot of mistakes and the sense of forgiveness and all of that just gets built in and you just you know, you just do the best you can. And as long as our integrity leads, this is really important because people don't understand how this whole thing moves in terms of integrity. Our integrity, the way we are as human beings, really kills so much of the diet of that or eliminates the diet of the lion. Because the paranoid looking around and the insidious way that we try to hide and manipulate is the lion just feeding on itself, and suddenly we really want not we don 't want to hurt we don 't want to harm we want we 're living in direction towards interconnectedness and towards towards non harm which is interconnectedness and in that way, the whole thing gets very is, um, simple it 's very simple, and the simplicity starts creating a diet a very lean diet for the lion, and even though the lion's still around and erupts forth in moments of, of unconscious reactivity, which all of us in this room still maintain, still this intention to look, to see, to see where we are, not condemning where we are, but to understand where we are. Understanding is a byproduct of love. Any other motivation is either, is going to feed the lion. But understanding doesn't, because when we understand something, we are, in Thai it's called cow jai, entering the heart. Cow jai means understanding in Thai, Literally, literally it means entering the heart. Understanding something, there's no reactivity, there's understanding. So as this lion continues to react and we are being present to the reactivity, just in our willingness to show up for ourselves in areas that we have and then haven't been, we make the diet very lean for this. And Now, it still has a growl or two in it. And that can throw us back into an awful lot of self-doubt, which is one of the key ways the lion feeds. And so when it growls and we lose ourselves and explode up and we want divorce and I'm tired of you and all of that, and we think, oh see, this practice has done nothing for me. Thirty years and I've betrayed everything. No, you haven't betrayed anything. The lion has just roared and it's dying. And there aren't a lot of lot more roars in it. It's the roar of a dying lion. Let it roar. Okay. Good. Be humble. I'm sorry. Da da da. And then go forward. And then move this thing forward. And what we then find co- accompanying ourselves as we are see, as we become more understanding, we also become more conscious. As we become more conscious, those threads of the lion are the, the, the tail, the ears that are being seen, all of the ways that it are just being seen. And we get more understanding. The lion gets leaner and we get quieter. Quietude, quietude, both in terms of thought, because the thought fed the lion from that abstract way we were looking at life. Now we're not so interested in holding ourselves aloof and reacting to the events of life because we realize that when we do so, we just foster more noise. And what is there to be afraid of anyway? What comes in is a is a sense of faith that the moment is safe on its own terms. The reason that we feel so um, shy and frightened by it is that it hasn't been safe. When we were children, we were abused or this or that, and so as adults we hold that pause, that retention of commitment, that walled we wall ourselves off. Because we've learned to do that. But then we have to unlearn it because it's safe. We're now mature. We're not children. We're not three, four years, five years old. We're older than that and therefore able to say no. We are empowered. And with that empowerment, we are willing to test the grounds of trust once more. And when we trust the grounds of trust, we see that the grounds are solid and provable. And and we also are growing in our ability to hold what we feel is untrusting or what we feel we cannot hold. For some of us, we think that the pain of the world is too much. As we approach the moment, rather than reflect and contemplate upon it, we feel the impact of living directly. We feel the pain of the world. And our heart does it, feels like it can't happen. So one of the reasons we step back is I can't do this, it's too much for me. But, like a balloon that you blow up, and at first, when you first blow it up, the heart only gets this big and then collapses real, because it the <coughs> cheeks get big and blowing it real, real hard. And then the hundredth time you blow it up, it goes, Whoosh. the heart's like that. And, as it goes in, as it blown up and collapses back and blows up and collapses back pretty soon, it gets pretty elastic and can hold. Because we have also learned at the same moment that we're letting things in, we're also letting things out. When we don't let anything out, it all builds up. And how does it build up? It builds up in contemplation, in thought, in reflection. And oh my God, I've got to... In consideration. We have to keep it collapsed, one dimensional, not Three. Things come in, they're felt, they're impact, tremendous affection, and they are let go and released. And we have all sorts of ways that we think that we are betraying life by letting it go. That we don't really care because look look, now you don't care at all. Look, you don't even you're not even focused on it anymore. As if you have to just keep putting it in a bag behind you and dragging it along to prove that you care about it. And then you get a phone call and you have to look in your bag to see where that person is, bring them out, and say, oh yes, you're the one that's, okay, yeah, I'm... I just can't remember you people, believe me, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I can't remember who you are after the retreat. You call me and I think, now who is that? <laughs> and you give me the details, I can come back with it. But it's not like I carry it. And you don't have to either. I learned that in hospice care. You go to one home, you see it, and you're right there with them. You get in your car and you drive them to another home. You can't afford to take the first home with you into the second home. Because you, they need you like the first home needed you. Completely. So you're there completely, but you're not bringing the first home. Does that mean you didn't care about the first home? Not at all. You go home at night, you can't remember any of the homes. It's all blur. Does that mean that nothing happened? No. Why aren't you worrying about them then? Because worry isn't about caring; it's about self. It's about the lion feeding the lion. Worry feeds the lion. You see, it's not cold. <laughs> it's a lie. And so it gets quiet, because we don't bring a lot of the past forward. We, when an event happens, the trace is is removed. There's no trace. Like putting your hand through water. No track. And the lion, of course, can't live without that sense of worry and tension and. Of and remunerating, all of that. Ruminating. And so that you walk in the moment, with the moment, unafraid there. Which doesn't mean blind because the discerning presence is fully aware of what is occurring. The, the context the clear comprehension of the moment is very clear one's place in it very clear it it comes automatically it doesn't have to be brought up it doesn't have to be intentionalized it doesn't have to be it's just there And so the lion it's a little bit sad actually because the lion was our protector and we used it well when we thought we were, when we misrepresented our perspective we were just ignorant we didn't know and so we bought lions to stay outside our house and to keep us protected and so they have followed us everywhere, and they are the protectors, the gate protectors of the temple called me. And so it's not, you really, when you really see that the, the egoic sense of me was very well meaning, not this enemy, but very well meaning, but just isn't needed anymore longer. And still has its functionality. It, I, I need to know the difference between my body and the door. Right? To be able to get out of it. And the difference between you and I, so that I don't feed you thinking that I'm going to be full.
1: <laughs>
0: so this is common sense. You don't lose common sense. You don't lose perspective. And so this, no longer a lion, But very thin demeanor. Very. And the quieter we get, the more expansive we get, the more. The lion comes along as a pet, sits down, sometimes offers us advice. We either listen or not. But the case is done, the job is over. The world is lived, not thought about. Thank you all.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how
0: you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.